Relevant content for our members by our members. This is TMC Connect. Hi, everybody, and welcome to TMC Connect. Um, today we have uh, Paul Chiarelli. He's with ACS, um, who's the CPA and a partner um, with ACS, and they've been a member of uh, the Mortgage Collaborative for many years, and we appreciate their partnership. Um, there have been some changes and some proposed changes for the um, regulatory changes for financial requirements. And uh, Paul wanted to uh, talk with us today about those changes and what the ramifications of those changes will be to um, TMC. So um, I'm going to turn it over to Paul, but just want to let you guys know that this was set up as a meeting. So please feel free to um, go with your uh, video on if you'd like. Um, you can also unmute yourself at any time and ask Paul questions as he goes through his presentation. We will be um, sending out a follow-up email tomorrow with um, a link to this recording as well as a uh, connection for the deck that Paul will be doing. So without further ado, Paul, I am going to turn it over to you. Hey, everyone. It's nice to see everybody. Or uh, you know through Zoom in this world now, but um, you know I'll get right to it. I'll talk about the first thing we're definitely going to touch on today is um, the changes regarding Fannie, Freddie, and Ginny. I'm sure that you've probably have already heard through some channel or another that there are there have been changes. It, it, they were proposed a year ago, and it looks like that they received all their comments, and these look like they're going to be final, even though they're still comment periods. It doesn't look like they're going to change, but we'll talk about those. Secondly is uh, leases, which if you remember from five years ago, a lot of the accounting conferences have, I want to say, beat it to death because it was supposed to be implemented in 2020, and given COVID and given everything, they've pushed it back to this year. And it's certainly going to be a major change uh, to your balance sheet and to how you record or account for these leases. Then I want to touch on material events. I know HUD has been sending out auto-generated emails regarding notifications of material events. We'll talk about what's supposed to be record, uh, reported. We will then also, if we have time, we'll talk about the uh, a refresher in the changes on unacceptable assets, which went into place last year along with being able to monitor your debt covenants appropriately and getting ahead of the curve. And in an, in an environment like this, sometimes it's better to tackle these before you start the audit rather than after. So first we'll start and we will talk about Ginny Mays changes. And as you could see, um, you, you, for all the Ginny May issuers, you're familiar with the existing requirements, certain changes, I think initially we expected the changes to be a lot uh, harsher, but it looks like that everything has eased up a little, but Ginny Mae certainly has concerns and which was the purpose for their change. So uh, first calculation of net worth really hasn't changed. Normal, normal gap equity, less your goodwill and tangible assets, affiliated receivables, net deferred tax assets, um, valuation adjustments on certain assets. And usually I tell my clients to also consider HUD's uh, and chapter seven handbook, consider their unacceptable assets as well. Uh, the existing requirement to the net worth is your base of 2.5 million plus 35 basis points of your single family UBP on Ginny Mae Securities, along with your available commitment authority. 
This has now changed. Uh, I'll go in my last slide. Uh, we'll talk about the effective dates of these. But the, pr the proposed requirement that they've just came out with is base requirement is still staying at 2.5 million plus 35 basis points of Ginny May security UBP along with the commitment authority plus an additional 25 basis points on your Fannie and Freddie servicing UBP and plus additional 25 basis points on all other servicing UBP. So as you could see, it looks like they have now added Fannie and Freddie's UBP to this as well, which could be a significant impact to this calculation if you are a smaller Gini issuer and you are primarily Fannie Freddie uh, servicing portfolio, this will now impact your Gini requirement. Second is the base liquidity requirement. Just like, uh, just similar, you know, liquidity is calculated using cash and cash equivalents. Uh, larger issuers probably have AAA rated government securities, agency MBSs, um, obligations of GSEs. Something that's that that I've noticed this year is your your principal and interest taxes and insurance and foreclosure advances are also now are included in your liquidity for Ginny May. That is something to consider where obviously given the current environment, especially 2020 with forbearances, this 2021 still effective. And even today, you know, a lot of my Gini issuers are still telling me this. So those advances now count towards your liquidity. Your existing requirement was the greater of a million or 10 basis points of your Gini May UBP. The proposed requirement keeps the base of 1 million plus your 10 basis points of Gini May servicing plus on additional, I'll go to the bottom first, is 3.5 basis points on all other servicing. And then it tiers your Fannie Freddie servicing. If you have schedule to schedule, that's seven basis points of that UBP, schedule to actual, seven basis points, and actual to actual, which I would primarily assume most people are using with Fannie, is 3.5 basis points. So now this is added to your liquidity requirement as opposed to just Ginny May. Um, this is going. This has been a bigger conversation for my smaller Ginny May issuers, where their portfolio is primarily 80% Fannie Freddie. Now bringing Fannie Freddie UBP into these calculations obviously causes a significant increase in Ginny May's requirements. Okay, they have a new liquidity requirement in general. Um, this doesn't apply for smaller issuers. This only applies if you are originating uh, more than 1 billion in mortgages in the last four quarters consecutively. So if you're looking at year end, it would be for that year. The proposed requirement is you would have to maintain liquidity of 50 basis points of your outstanding loans held for sale and interest rate lock limit. This is new. This is not something that has been around. Um, there has been concern for this. Certainly, if you're a Gini issuer and, and you don't securitize uh, a lot, but obviously it's something to keep in note. This does not go into effect in 2022, so it's not an immediate cause for concern, but it is something to look out for next year. Okay, the finally, we talk about leverage ratios and Leverage ratio stayed the same. 6% was always the same for Ginny. That remained unchanged. In the original proposal, they wanted 9% and they switched it to 6, which was a good, um, which is good for uh, Ginny issuers. 
This is new. This is new to um, IMBs. Uh, this is something called risk-based capital requirements. This is more or has been for years with depositories. They've always had risk-based capital requirements, whether it was with the FDIC and even Ginny instituted a risk-based capital requirement for depository institutions. If you're familiar with the chapter six HUD guide and you looked at the, cap the examples of the calculation in the back, there was always one for depositories and one for non-depositories. You'll see that this was always a requirement for depositories. The, the, it's still at 6%, but this is how it's calculated. The, the way that they're doing is they're, risk, they're weighing the assets on your balance sheet. And that is now your new denominator in your trans in your calculation. It's you know uh, the usual ratio, right? That they've used is a, a net worth over your assets has to be at least six percent. Well, now they have something called risk weighted assets. And to the right, I put together or I snipped this from the Ginny May proposal that they originally did in 2021 on how to calculate this. I also have an Excel template that I will share with the TMC to email to everybody um, on how to, on what you can, uh, you know, as a template you can use for yourself. But, you know, with the big, the big thing here, which is a concern is that they're weighing two, they're weighing MSRs at 250%, not to exceed your adjusted net worth. So if you look at the example, it doesn't, you know, I don't picture this being if you have if your assets aren't primarily made up of MSRs, this this may not be a significant impact to you. But if it is, it could cause a large impact because they're weighing MSRs so large, uh, uh, you know, at 250 percent. So as you can see in the calculation, that's how they would calculate it. The, the new addition here is your risk-based capital ratio, the, the net, it's not just net, your adjusted net worth, it's minus your excess MSRs. If you're not familiar with excess MNRs, MSRs, that has always been a tax term, um, a tax terminology. I don't want to get into the intricacies of your excess MSRs now, but this is something to look out for. And you know, my contact information will be shared at the end of this, and you could certainly reach out to me directly if you would like to speak more regarding it and how that's factored into this calculation. But this is certainly new to independent mortgage lenders. Okay, now we're going to switch our gears over here and talk to talk about the changes for Fannie and Freddie. It would the purpose of the changes, especially we've noticed that the FHFA and Ginny May have worked hand in hand. Both of them have came out with uh, on their websites PDFs of each one of their proposals, and you can tell that they tried to align a lot of their requirements together. There are certain things that are only included in Ginny, not Fannie and Freddie and vice versa. But as we go through this, you'll see the base is pretty much aligned on a lot of these requirements. For example, the adjusted net worth calculation, the existing requirement, 2.5 basis points plus, or 2.5 million plus 25 basis points. Proposed requirement, very similar to Ginny May. 35 basis points of their of Ginny May, 25 basis points of Fannie, Freddie, and all other servicing. Okay, liquidity requirements, base liquidity requirements. You can see the calculation of liquidity slightly differs here. You have trading securities and unrestricted cash and cash equivalents, but uh, the FHFA allows you to take into consideration 50% of your unused portion of the servicing advanced line of credit. 
which was which is a good addition. If you have a line of credit on servicing it, or if you have that uh, facility, you can count it towards your liquidity. Uh, the existing requirement, 3.5 basis points, but they used to factor in 200, and ba 200 basis points on non-performing agency servicing in excess of 6% of your total servicing. The proposed requirement is right in line with what Gini is requiring. 10 basis points of Gini, and then you're, you're tiered on your, your uh, FH, uh, Fannie Freddie portfolio, and then ultimately 3.5 basis points on everything else. So the big change, the big difference here is the calculation of the liquidity and Fannie and Freddie will include your unused 50% of the unused portion of your servicing advanced line of credit. Next, origination liquidity requirements. Again, lockstep with Ginny May on this, 50 basis points of loans held for sale on IRLC in its simple form. The new requirement, this applies to larger uh, non-depository lenders. Maybe a lot of you will not fall into that category today, but you would have to have a liquidity buffer, for, you know, 2.5 basis points of your uh, of Fannie Freddie and five basis points of Ginny May. Capital ratio has remained the same, 6%. That stayed the same for Ginny and for Fannie. There was no changes there. So going to the effective dates of this, as you can see, uh, I, this is a good chart to follow. Uh, the first effective date is not until 9.30 of 2023. So there is some time to adjust for this and get and plan appropriately for this. Um, this came right from Ginny May's handout that they that they uh, published. Again, I will share that with you as well. So you can kind of look at, you can kind of use that as a base. That's where most of my information has came from today uh, in regards to these changes. Secondly, which moving, moving forward is I really wanted to spend at least five minutes here, a little longer to talk about leases. Uh, this if you, I'm sure your auditor has probably have already reached out to you. You may have already received emails from them, or you, somebody would have had to communicate with you by now. This is a this is a big change. the The new requirement says that under GAAP, all leases have to be recorded on the balance sheet. You would have something called a right of use asset or a lease asset, and you would have an offset liability there, which would be the present value of your of your future obligations on these leases. It, it's a big change. What's the biggest change other than putting an asset and your liability on your books? Ideally, the net impact to equity should not be material. We don't know that until you do the calculation because everything everybody will be different, but your leverage ratio will, will change. You will be adding a liability while equity will be staying the same. Certainly have these conversations with people, uh, with your vendors that look at this requirement. I'm sure they have already thought about this. Um, public issuers, so UWM, Loan Depot, they had to adopt this when they went public. Um, public issuers had to adopt it in general in 2020, I think 2019 maybe. So I'm sure that warehouse lenders are, are aware of this and it's a conversation that you should be having with them because you will have a large liability on the books. I don't wanna go into the intricacy of the calculation, but I wanted to highlight some key points here. First is you take the full lease obligation, you present value it. The biggest component of that is an assumed interest rate. 
a lot of my clients ask, what interest rate do I use? I'll tell you, ACS will be okay with the borrowing rate at the time you enter into the lease. Obviously, you should have an internal memo drafted. You should have reasoning and justification on why you're using that implied interest rate or why you're using that interest rate in the present value calculation. So in, in very simple terms, if you have a lease that goes for the next five years and it's a million dollars of total lease payments, if you present value that, it'll be lower. You know, it may turn out to be 750,000 of a liability. Well, what does that mean? Your rent payment's not changing. Um, you have interest expense now um, on your leases. You will be a portion of your rent payment every month. Well, not the whole, in past, your whole rent payment would go to rent expense or if you straight lined your rent, it would, you would, it would be, have a different impact, but you never had an interest component to this. Now, every month, you should be recording an inter, a lease interest expense on your P&L. The thing, you know, jumping to number five real quick, this is effective as of 1-1-2022. So this is not a end of the year audit entry. This is something that should be being evaluated internally now, maybe in Q3, because you will have an adjustment in not only to the balance sheet, but I'm sure if you haven't adopted this as of 1-1, you've probably been applying your total rent payment to rent expense. There will obviously be a strip there that will have to go to interest. So it is an entry that should be evaluated now. Um, reach out to your auditors, reach out to your accounting firm. Um, if it's us, call me. I'll go over it with you. I'll, I'll tell you what our approach is to this to these entries and how you should do it. But if you haven't adopted it yet, or you haven't, it, well, it has to be adopted, but if you haven't uh, accounted for it in your financials, I would recommend you do it in Q3. Um, this way, it's not one journal entry hit to Q4. You can obviously go and amend your you know, you can go and change your previous quarters if you would like to do so, but then you would have to restate them and redistribute them. And I don't know if the impact will be material to a lot of the calculations other than the, the leverage ratio. But this is certainly something that should be starting to look into. The, there's lease softwares out there that will that will help you with this entry that you can look into. Um, I have clients that are choosing to do it manually. Um, the, the biggest thing that I will say is that there's a lot of information that has to be gathered with this calculation. It's it's not only it's not only office leases. You have to include copier and equipment leases as part of this as well. In the past, if it was a capital lease, it would be on your balance sheet. But so this wouldn't have a significant impact. But if it wasn't considered a capital lease, it was always an operating lease which flowed through the PL. This has to be factored into this calculation. So if you have a significant amount of branches and a significant amount of copier leases, there is a lot of data that has to be gathered to prepare this calculation. And I would certainly, if you haven't started at a minimum, start gathering all the data that you need for this. A um, couple of other key points here, month to month leases. What GAP will tell you is that you have to estimate how long you will be in these leases for. And if that estimate is greater than 12 months, you will have to account for that and estimate on your balance sheet. If it's month to month and it, you can't you can't reasonably determine how long you'll have that office, you can it can be excluded. Renewal options, same thing. If you have a renewal option in your lease, you have to evaluate the likelihood of, of exercising that option. And if the likelihood is high, you factor that into this calculation as well. Any lease that is 12 months or less is excluded from the calculation altogether. You can continue to record it as you previously done in the past. So 
those are the key points that I wanted to touch on in talking about leases it is certainly something uh, that your auditor will look at. And uh, just like I tell my clients, it's not an audit entry. Uh, we can't prepare the entry and then audit it. So please, um, you know, I, I would recommend looking at it. And if you wanted a completely third-party perspective, if I'm not your auditor or your accounting firm, please, you could reach out to me and I, and I could talk to you. Okay, now moving on to notice of material events. Um, I know a lot of my clients have already got the auto email from HUD stating the net operating loss deficiency, which tells you that HUD is expecting this. It's expecting that this should be, be is probably happening and it should be reported. Well, what are the three main, the three key material events from an accounting perspective that must be reported? Your net operating loss deficiency, which is any, any quarterly net loss greater than 20% of the company's net worth on a quarterly basis. Secondly, liquidity, you're obviously deficient in HUD's liquidity requirement and net worth deficient uh, uh, the requirement if you're deficient there. These have to be reported to HUD in the quarter and within 30 days of quarter end. Um, how to report this event is through the LEAP system. If you log on to LEAP, you look at the toolbar that's there. If you if you scroll over them, you'll notice material event. You click on that and it, it, it's, relatively straightforward on how to submit it through LEAP. We recommend that not only do you submit that you have it, put the calculation, put a letter of explanation and a corrective action plan on what you are doing to fix this and to kind of alleviate, uh, remediate this. Um, I've always said better late than never. I've had clients that have came to me 45 days after the, year, after the quarter end, because that's how long it would take to close. And they said, we just found out about this. What do we do? And I better late to report it than to not report it at all um, or to report it at the audit period at the end of the year, because we've had we've had experience with with HUD in this and HUD has been lenient if you don't report it right at the 30 day mark or previously. But they are aware there is emails being automatically generated by HUD. So they are aware that this is probably a deficiency that's happening in the industry and they're expecting it to, to be reported. Certain items to consider, if, if you do not report it, HUD can enforce uh, findings and, and penalties. Um, we've seen HUD enforce not only a failure to submit the event, failure to timely submit it on top of not submitting it, and I know the recertifications have questions have changed, but also not pro, uh, lying on your recertification used to be another finding. So if you recertified and didn't report this and HUD came back and found this, they would find you, there would be three different findings that they would be evaluating. So if, if, if you, it is something that I would certainly be doing if it's affecting, if, if it's happening to you today. Um, and the one thing that was changed in the HUD handbook last year is that the calculation is based upon the net worth of the company. You don't have to adjust to, to get to a, the adjusted net worth of the company. It's pretty, it says that in the chapter seven HUD audit guide. I can, again, if you can, you can reference it, or if you have a question, I can certainly share that, but it's based upon your, your net worth of the previous quarter. So your Q2 net loss over your 331 net worth. If that is greater than 20%, you would have to be, you're required to report it to HUD. So I know I'm coming up on time here. You know, if I don't want to go into detail on this, but this is a quick snapshot of the things that have changed last year. And obviously maybe in 2020 and 2021, this may have not been of significant 
or not have been on your radar as much because net worth may have been healthy. Now in this market, depending on your current company's operations, this could play a bigger role in your, in, in your net worth calculation. And these are some references that you can pull up the guides that I put here. And I know I originally had monitoring debt covenants on my original agenda. The only thing I will say on that is to get ahead of them. I'm sure if you've already been in violation as of Q3 you already or Q2, you already are ahead of the game. But if you're predicting that Q4 may put you into a violation, um, be, get ahead of the game, speak to your warehouse lenders. Because in a market like this, where there probably will may be more violations than not, um, warehouse banks are going to take more time to process the waivers and certain audit firms may you, if you don't, you know, may hold up release if you're not getting a waiver or have a modification in the audit opinion. And if they're taking time to get that waiver to you, it could you could be pressed up against the deadline. So definitely I would recommend getting out, uh, getting out ahead of it. So that's all for today. I know it was a lot of information in a small session, but I'll be sharing this with the TMC. And if and you have any questions, you can reach out to me, email, calling me. You can call me in my office. I'm here every day, but the best way to reach me is by my by my direct cell phone there. Thanks, Paul. Um, a lot of information was shared, yes, and a lot of important information I got. Do it, do it now and and make sure that you're doing it. <laughs> So don't wait for the auditor. Do it now. So thank you very much. Just want to give the uh, group one last opportunity. If you've got any questions, please feel free to unmute yourselves and ask those. Okay. Well, once again, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate you sharing your expertise with us. Um, as a reminder for um, the folks that are on the call with us today, we will send out a follow-up email tomorrow with the recording, as well as this document, the deck that Paul was sharing. And um, Paul, if you will send over that uh, Excel template for calculating the uh, risk-based capital, then I'll include that. Certainly, I'll, I'll share that with you right when we get off this call. Excellent. Thanks so much. Well, thank you guys for joining us for TMC Connect. And please feel free to come back at any time. And so with that, everybody have a great day. See you later, everybody. Thanks so much. For more information about how you can get involved with TMC Connect and witness the power of the network firsthand, please visit us at mortgagecollaborative.com.